I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan Heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man Got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues I know Federico, Turnbull, Gilmore, Brown, Channel, Bothwell, Bay, Bitch, Mahar, Mullen, Millen, Sutter, Pedersen, Pavisey, Curry, Zuckley, Uthard, Hunter, Schofield, Reeves, Ramage, Kia, Dunlop, Wickenheiser, Crombie, Benning, Raglan, Ewan, Micheletti, Ramage, Romming, Pepsoski, Evans, Cavallini, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup in here, 52, man, gimme a let's go blues. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power, too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we are talking about St. Louis. I am one half of your hosting team of these of St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. Easy for me to say, uh, easier to think anyway. I'm Tom Franklin, joined as always by my much more competent comrade, wags what's going on oh man you are definitely setting me up to fail with that comment right there oh no i I set us all up to fail tonight i mean i totally just absolutely bombed that intro there that was that was was terrible disgusting behavior 80 episodes in that's the first one uh i'll I'll take those odds well you, you might forgive me for you know being a little bit flustered tonight by based on number two uh on the board behind me that is our number two most uh Stomach-turning blues moment in history, and that is just all the moments that Mike effing Keenan brought to us. So that's our uh, number two moment of tonight. And then our honorable mention is another, you know, kind of, you know, very distress-inducing moment. The 1999-2000 President's Trophy fail. Uh, We'll uh, we'll get into that. More bad memories here on Blue Notes as uh, we got to talk about something because there's not a whole lot going on this offseason uh, in the world of hockey. I uh, do want to uh, also let you know that uh, next week we are going to have another golden offering from one Luke Widbin, a.k.a. Teriyaki Fingers, for our number one moment, uh, stomach-turning moment in Blues history. We got a preview of that just maybe an hour or two before we went live here in WAGS. It's a masterpiece! It just keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, first the intro song, then then we've had the goalie song, and now we're going to have this. And like you said, we got a sneak peek of it a little bit earlier today. And you guys are in for a complete treat when we unveil that next week. And and we could not be more thankful for Luke and what he continues to do for us. And yes, the pandemic has allowed some people to express their creativity because they've been at home for so long. Uh, so you know, another good thing that came out of this whole thing is the fact that, you know, Luke's been able to do stuff for us. And it's just been, like you said, absolutely golden every time. Yeah, I think you asked the question, you know, before we went on very nicely. And that is what do what have we done to deserve the talents of Luke Whitbin and the talents of the uh, Hawaii Blues fan? Because he's got a special Aloha commentary as well. Again, there is no elevation high enough 
you know, to keep, you know, the Hawaii Blues fan from giving us Blues analysis. You know, I mean, today he goes to the top of what is called the Chinaman's Hat in, in Hawaii. And uh, he, he didn't just climb. He had to, like, kayak a little little ways to get there as well. So he was pretty tired by the end of it. He did it for your entertainment. So give him some love on Twitter. He is at Hawaii Blues Fan. Of course, we are at Blue Notes Pod on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. We're also streaming live on YouTube and Twitch tonight as well. And, it, of course, we also have our audio podcast every Monday, wherever you get your podcast from. And next month will be Monday and Thursday as well on the audio uh, format at the very least. We'll still be live uh, streaming on Sundays for sure. Uh, the Thursday episode will just be an audio-only episode because uh, we want to you know, let you know that we still exist there as well. So there we go. Um, and uh, we, we got to talk, just do a final little tying of the bow on the reverse retros. Um, so... I, I, as, as I noted in the promo video, you know, I was keeping a kind of sort of, but not really open mind on these things, you know, maybe when they come out, um, uh, maybe I could be convinced to buy one. Um, well, they came out a day, like the day, the podcast audio podcast released on Monday. I, I can't, I can't do them. I can't do them. I just, no, no, I, I don't want to walk around town looking like a Burger King employee. But that is what I that's what I will look like if I wear that thing. Have you not seen the new Burger King uniforms? They're nowhere close to looking like that. Okay, may, oh, maybe it's a reverse retro of a Burger King uniform. How about that? You know, hey, it's still a reverse retro. I mean, I mean, <laughs> plus it would take me back to a time when Burger King was actually good. That's very true. You know, you used to drive by and smell those whoppers on the flame grill, and you'd just be getting a hankering form and. I worked right down the street from one early in my life. And yeah, you stop by there and you can get into a lot of trouble at a Burger mm-hmm. King. As far as food is concerned, you can yes. get in a lot of trouble at a Burger King. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, growing up in Arnold, you know, I, I live by the Burger King that was on uh, Vogel in the West Outer Road. If you if you live down there, you know where that one is. And that was like one of the few places that felt like a hangout, you know, after school. You know, you go to you go there. And, like I remember for the for like a while. They had whoppers for like a buck, you know, and when you're when you're a broke ass high school kid working at Emo's, you know, just for a few extra bucks, you know, those whoppers came in handy for for a buck, you know, for a buck, I'll eat a whopper uh, for whatever they charge now. I, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Burger King to me has gone downhill in the last 10, 20 years. I, yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, their fries are still decent when they're hot, uh, but nothing beats a hot McDonald's fry right out of the fryer, nicely salted. I mean, that that's the pinnacle right there. And that's coming from a guy that works at a restaurant and has some pretty good fries as well. Uh, but it, you're talking about, you know, sustaining yourself on cheap food. When I was in college the first time uh, living in the dorms, we had a McDonald's. I went to Lindenwood, still do, uh, it, what, 20 years later? Uh, <laughs> almost. Working on a doctorate? No. <laughs> <laughs> but living in the dorms, we were right down the road from, from a McDonald's. And for me being the first time I was actually away from home, staying in the dorms, we would be up late at night. We would be going places and those dollar McChickens were what I lived off of at night. And I I still, to this day, I will get McChickens because that will take me back to my college days. Well, I went to Jefferson college for, for a year and there were some late night study sessions that 
could only be done with the help of Jack in the Boxes two for ninety nine cent tacos. That was that was after midnight. That becomes brain food. Okay, it, it, there, there's something magical about those tacos after midnight. I don't know what it is. No one can ever explain it. It's just it's just the way it is. Well, were, those, uh, were those study sessions uh, prevalent with alcohol? Because that's that's generally what makes those tacos taste damn good. Is you got that alcohol flavor in you, and it just mixes with that suspected meat in see, those tacos, and it works. I was nineteen when I went to Jeffco, so I can neither confirm nor deny legally. <laughs> uh, by the way, our uh, buddy, the White Blues fan, checking in, saying nothing beats the Lions' choice. I had that for lunch today. I had I had them. You know, I, I gotta admit something. I. I never had Lion's Choice up until very recently. It was like 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 maybe like a month ago, and I thought it was okay. What? It was okay. It wasn't bad. I mean, it was just it was just like, but I I didn't eat it thinking like, oh my god, where has this been all my life? It was okay. I've never been the big roast beef Arby's guy though. That's just me. See, like for me, roast beef is king, and and I'm not saying that just because I like you know Lion's Choice, which is the king <laughs> of roast beef, but. Yes. Yeah, I mean, roast beef is great, and that sauce or that special seasoning that they use on there. There's there's sp- certain places that have seasonings that just are the tops, and you know, Lion's Choice is one of them. And if you remember back in the day, Krieger's their seasoning on their fries, phenomenal. I've never it, heard of Krieger's. Oh, it, it was it was you know only a, a, a like a three or four restaurant operation. Okay. We had one out in Maryland Heights. Uh, there was one uh-huh. out in Chesterfield as well. Uh, it was a family owned kind of thing. But I tell you what, those fries and the seasoning that they had on those, I actually had a former employee that worked for me at Chick Fil A a few years ago that was actually one of the uh, relatives of the owner, and she actually made up a batch of the seasoning for me to use on fries at home, and it, it's amazing. What a lady. What an oh, absolute yeah. she's lady. Great. Does anyone else remember Krieger's? Uh, drop a comment, just like uh, the Wyatt Blues fan. We'll pop it on here and we'll talk about it. Anyone remember Krieger's? Also, if you're Lions Choice and you're looking for sponsorship opportunities, our Gmail is uh, bluenotespod at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to talk to you. Um, anyway, we have completely diverted from our original topic here, and <laughs> that is the reverse retro jerseys. Um, you know, I guess when you're talking about salt and Burger King, I guess it can only mean one thing. It's the blues reverse retro Jersey. Um, (laughs) you know, I, here's my, here's my final stance on the reverse retro for the blues. It's not as bad as a lot of other, you know, uh, jerseys. I mean, they're, they're they're reverse retros. I still put it in like the bottom tier. Uh, it's just, it just, to me, it's uninspired. Um, and the cut, I just, there's something about that red I just cannot do. Uh, if they made it a yellow, you know, like I have a, you know, a blues party zone jersey from like the from like the 2000s that uh, uh, they used to get the fans that sat and sit in the special section. And it's a yellow jersey with the blue note logo. And I think it looks kind of crisp. It looks it looks kind of neat. I mean, it's it's my I mean, that particular jersey doesn't look great now. It's about 20 years old and I've abused it, um, you know, so it doesn't look so hot now. But I think if they went with the yellow instead of the red, it might have looked better. And, and not only that, but yellow has been more of a part of the blues logo and the color scheme than red from the beginning. Their beginning jersey was blue with yellow kind of trim with it. You know, kind of it's it was the basically the same winter classic style. So 
that's my opinion on it. That's my final thoughts on it. I'm not going to buy it. I am buying. I'm buying too many of these reverse retro jerseys, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm waiting for that second stimulus to come through, man, because it's, you know, I'm going to I'm going to need a bailout. I'm buying five. Dang, five uh, of them. Five. Now, I, I, I go through a guy. Uh, he He's on Reddit. That, don't don't uh, reveal your secret, though. No, I'm not going to. No, I, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, he's got enough on his plate as it is. But um, he basically sells Adidas at Fanatics prices, basically. And so that's where I'm getting three of them. Uh, the three I'm getting from him are the Pittsburgh, the white word mark, you know, with the letters going down diagonally. It's a classic look. I mean, it harkens back memories of the early 90s Penguins teams, which were my second favorite team for a while, by the way, behind the Blues, because I love Mario and I love Yager, and I love playing them in NHL 94. You know, you had the Samuelson brothers that could just, you know, kill people, and it was they were, they were a fun team in NHL 94. Uh, so I'm getting them. I am getting the Wild Wing from Anaheim with the duck bursting from the ice in true 90s fashion because it's the 90s it's wild wing it's also if, if you're if you're a hockey jersey collector that original version of that jersey is almost impossible to find because it was only out for one year because it was an abomination it was terrible um but you know they did a good job with that i'm getting that one and then the third one i'm getting from my guy i'm trying to think here it's the it's not the whalers and coyotes i'm getting those from the team stores i'm suddenly drawing a blank on the on, on the third one see you, you know i have you know you know you have a problem wags when you buy so many jerseys you can't remember which ones you're buying yeah that's a problem i wish i could have and i just i gotta i guess have to ask i have mm-hmm. to ask you're getting the ducks jersey and you've called it an abomination because it was from the 90s and that's just the 90s thing and I, this is the exact same point I'm going to make, guy. And yet you think the Blues one is bad. Justify how you can buy an Abomination Ducks jersey from the 90s. And yet you don't want to buy a Blues jersey that's from the 90s and you consider just as bad. It doesn't have red in it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. That's all. I don't know if that's justification enough for for guy and myself. I can be honest with that. That's fine. That's fine. You know, you, you can you can you can believe what you want. That's cool. That that's See, perfectly I, cool. I think the Pittsburgh one's an abomination. I I loved those Pittsburgh teams because you had Yager with the mullet, you had Lemieux, you had the Samuelsons. But if you want to talk about uninspired, a white jersey with the word Pittsburgh diagonally across it, wow. That's but, but, so cool. But that's a reverse retro, just as you said. It's the exact reverse of their black jerseys in that style from the early 90s. They just pop ap- added white to it. Ooh, a black jersey with Pittsburgh diagonally. You know, you're dogging on, on the Pittsburgh jersey, and yet you're all, yay, blues reverse retro. It's so cool. It, it's, it's the primary colors of the St. Louis City flag. Red is the primary color, accented by blue and yellow. Okay, if we're talking about you know honoring the city that they're they're a part of and the the history of the St. Louis Blues, the St. Louis flag is primarily red with yellow and blue accents. Okay, and yes, it is the reverse of the clown jersey, and it is a lazy way of doing the jersey, but there at least is some thought behind it because it still harkens back to the city of St. Louis, and you still have 
the blue note on there, which if you think about it, the blues are not named after the color blue. They're named after the style of music that was prominent in the St. Louis area, jazz and blues. So you have the colors of the city flag with the red prominent, and you have the blue note logo, which represents the blues portion of the team name. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing that it could have done. There could have gone a bunch of different unique ways, but you can't reverse retro a white home jersey or a blue road jersey because it would just be the opposite jersey, something that they've already worn. So like I said, it is a lazy way to go about it. It may not be the best jersey that they've ever come out with, but I see why they went that direction. And I still think it's a decently cool looking jersey. It's a unique jersey. They're going to use, they're going to wear it a couple of times, just like the clown jersey. And then it's going to go away and maybe come back every so often. It's unique. It's it's not different, but it's different. People, it's got people talking. So I, I'm okay with it. That's fair. I mean, and I'm sure when the Cincinnati Reds come out with their blue uh, reverse retros, I mean, you know, people will be talking about that too. I, I, you know, honestly, I think the Reds did wear a powder blue uniform at one point uh, in the last, and I think it might have been. It might have been in association with the Negro Leagues when they did the the celebrations. Oh, I, that's I a good reason. I, I think that's part of it, but I think at some point the Reds have worn a blue uniform or had blue in their uniform. All right, Luke Whitbin, uh, our uh, uh, our artiste extraordinaire. I get the St. Louis flag argument. I just hate the style they paired it with. Give me the '80s jersey with the blues above the logo, and ex- he's exactly right. That's the that's a retro they have not done yet. I would have rather have seen that, although. I don't know how they could reverse retro that because they had both home and away versions of that. So do you make that red? uh, There's a whole, I mean, like I said, there's a whole with the way the blues uniforms have been, it's so difficult to reverse engineer one of those to make it unique. This was the only Jersey that they could essentially reverse that would not look like a Jersey that they've kind of already worn, you know, between home and away. Like the Islanders, which basically yeah. they just came out with a just another version of the jersey they currently wear. Exactly, and which, you looks, know, which is terrible. It's it crazy. is now. Now, like the Kings jersey, I really like the Kings jersey. Yes. I really like the Canadians jersey. I think those are really really cool. And yeah, Canadians are great. Um, the Arizona jersey, hands down, is probably the winner for me. You know what? He, and and that that's one of the jerseys that I'm getting. And by the way, I remember the fifth jersey was the Avalanche uh, with the Nordiques logo, which oh, I have oh. I have a. Quebec jersey in that style, the white. Um, it's a Forsberg, and the coloring on that is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. It is laid out beautifully, and I have no doubt that jersey uh, will. That's probably my number one out of this. I can't believe I forgot about them, but uh, number one, I would probably say is the Avalanche Nordiques for sure. Um, the 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 Coyotes, the desert thing. That's another jersey like the Wild Wing that was hated. In its mm-hmm. day, in the late '90s, it did not look good. And I, and I'll, I'll, I will say this: the scheme that they had at the time, where it was green with the desert logo, it didn't look great. I didn't like the colors on them at all. And and, and apparently, a lot of people didn't. It's also a hard jersey to find uh, in the hockey jersey market. But the purple that they used uh, for the sky, and then you know, you, you still got the cheesy kind of desert motif on the bottom. But the purple really works to the point 
where I'm I would be totally down if Arizona made that like a permanent color of theirs. That is a good looking purple. Um, I think that looks great. Um, I yeah, I I just that's where I stand on the blues reverse retro and reverse retros. If you want to hear more about where I stand on reverse retros as a whole, uh, I'm going to be on tip of the icebergs podcast uh, tomorrow that the audio version hits tomorrow, wherever you get your podcast from. I think they do a video version on YouTube, but they don't post it until Monday or Tuesday, but uh, myself and uh, both Nick's uh, Nick Berlansky and Nick Horwat. We kind of break down the, uh, all the reverse retros that came out. I bitch a little bit more about the blues because that's what I that's what I do do well at. Um, but it's it's a very in depth conversation. And also, uh, they asked about uh, you know the blues just as a whole and how they're looking at the season. So for a little bit of a blues season preview, you can check that podcast out. Tip of the iceberg. It comes out on Monday. Now um, we do have one little bit. Uh, blues news and it's a pretty small itty bitty little bit of news and that's kind of indicative of where this player stands in the organization the blues re-signed defenseman jake wallman this week to a two-year extension the second year is a one-way deal the first year is a two-way deal i'm told i guess that's you know because of the time he's had in the organization and his age maybe they had no choice but to give him a one-way deal which makes sense um our friend of the program, Gabriel Foley, uh, notes that the Blues kind of have a logjam at left defense. And he tweeted out, quote, here's a list of all the left-handed defensemen that could have an NHL role in the next two years. You have Tori Krug, Vince Dunn, Carl Gunnarsson, Marco Scandella, Scotty Prunovich, Jake Wallman, Tyler Tucker, and Nico McCullough. Eight guys, including a couple of stars, fighting for basically three spots. Yikes. Um, and then just for fun, the right right-handed defenseman, Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, Robert Portuzo, Mitch Reinke, and Steven Santini, a much more reasonable wit list. Weird. But first, let's talk about Wallman. So Wallman's a guy I feel we've been waiting forever to develop, and it just has not happened. It's kind of shit or get off the pot time for Jake Wallman, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that's what you're getting out of him. He's been with the organization for so long. For the longest time, he was the next guy to come out of the minors that you were expecting to be a part of the St. Louis Blues you know, team. He got a chance to play in a game this year. He had plus one in that game with one shot. Didn't really make much of an impact. And the fact that he's got a two-year, two-way deal this, this year and then a one-way deal next year, uh, it, it almost makes it seem like the Blues are doing everything they can to showcase him enough that maybe they can trade him this year and yeah. stick him to a team so he actually gets a chance to play. Not so much stick him with the team, but at least give him a chance to be an NHL player with a team, maybe not with the Blues. Because of that logjam, this two-way deal gives them a chance to showcase him at different points of the season, maybe make a trade, and give him that security of knowing, hey, if he's not with the Blues next year, wherever he's going, he's going to get a chance to play in the NHL. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a similar situation that Jordan Schmaltz was in in, in the re- in recent years where the Blues had they had to do something with him. They couldn't make him a part of their top six or seven. So they traded him on to uh, Toronto uh, in a deal for uh, Andreas Borgman, who has not you know turned out for the Blues either. But at the very least, they could stash him down in San Antonio. But uh, Gabriel brings up a good point in that, you know, you're there's not a lot of room available 
like like we've we've talked a little bit you know this offseason about nico mccola and how he's i think he's ready for nhl time it's just does he have an nhl role for him when you have tory krug who is locked in long term you know he's not going anywhere anytime soon uh vince dunn restricted free agent we haven't seen him re-signed yet. We kind of, I kind of talked about this with the uh, Iceberg guys. Um, my feeling with Dunn is if he was going to go anywhere, it would have happened by now. I think Vince Dunn is still going to be in this team's plans, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but you got to figure Dunn's going to be part of that defensive group, right, Wags? See, I don't, I don't know. I, I think at this point, if the if he was going to re-sign with the Blues, he'd be back because they've lost Alex Petrangelo, so they know that they have money available. So if that's the case, why have you not re-signed Vince Dunn yet? He hasn't gotten an offer sheet or an offer from anybody else that we know of, so that means that no one else is really kind of doing much. The only thing I can sit there and say is you know, the Blues are probably waiting to the last minute so they get the best deal possible. But we've also talked about what's Vince Dunn's role going forward. Is he a top defensive pairing defenseman? We don't think so. You know, Gabriel has, has put it out there that he's got one of the highest potentials of offensive defensemen, but he's also been playing third line pairing yep. minutes, going up against third and fourth lines. What's that translate when, when you're going up against better competition? So if the Blues get the right deal, obviously I think it's gonna it's going to work out and having him on that defensive core is, is having a better version of Kevin Shattenkirk, I believe. So I'm okay with it if they get the right deal, but I don't think the blues are really weighing too much on their minds as as far as getting done back. Cause you've got guys like McCola and you've got a guy like Scott Perunovich that honestly is probably even a better version of Vince Dunn, which means you go from Shattenkirk to Dunn to (laughs) Perunovich. That's a pretty good increasing progression there. And I think they're looking at it as if, if Dunn resigns with us for a good price, great. It gives Perunovic some time to develop. If not, we got Perunovic. Yeah, that's very fair. And uh, one thing that I that I that Jeremy Rutherford actually noted to us on Twitter um, was that you know he, he's kind of of the belief that Perunovic um, they're gonna they're gonna give him time in the AHL at least to start off with because you're looking at a shortened season. Uh, there's not a need per se for him to be up at this point. I think they want to make sure that he can, you know, ad- adjust to the pro game because there is, you know, college going from college to pros is a little better than going from like juniors to pros or like Russia to the pros, for instance. But there's still uh, there, there's still some differences There's still some, you know, it's a different speed than probably what he's used to. Um, so I think we'll wait on Perunovich for a while. But one thing that, uh, you know, JR also confirmed to us, uh, is that Scott Perunovich has no issue whatsoever playing on his offhand, which might be handy when you're looking at, you know, you're looking at Colton Pareko and Justin Falk being locked in for the net for this season and beyond, unless Seattle, you know, decides to take Falk off our hands and which in that case, God bless you, Seattle. Um, but you're looking at Bertuzzo. I think he's got one year left and he's done. Reinke, will he ever put it together? I don't know. Uh, Steven Santini, he had promise in the New Jersey uh, organization coming up, but he couldn't crack the Preds, although they have a pretty deep rotation. Um, so you might be looking at a situation where Peruna, Prunovich plays on the right side, um, where he's apparently comfortable, which is which is a big deal, Wags, because we just went with through this with Justin Falk, who is clearly not comfortable playing on his left side. And, you know, you being a hockey player yourself, I mean, you know, it, it just it just depends on the defenseman, I guess, whether they're comfortable playing on their offhand or not. 
It really does because it's all about positioning. It's about how you're able to move and contort your body because, you know, if you're going into the boards and you have to figure out a way to switch from your forehand to your backhand or what have you, if you have to think about that and it's not natural, it's going to throw off your entire game because you're used to going one direction. And if you're flipped onto the other side, that one direction puts you into the boards when really you want to be going to the middle <laughs> of the ice. So there, there's a lot of different pieces that go into it. And it's not just defensively as well. It's offensively too, because, you know, having to go, if you're, if you're a certain shot and the puck has to cross in front of you to get to your stick, that's going to allow the goaltender to get over and be able to stop your shot. It leads to more intercepted passes, things of that nature. So it's not just defensively that playing on your offhand will mess with you. It's offensively as well. And if you're not accustomed to doing that and you're not you know, quick enough, you're not agile enough to do that, yeah, it's going to really wreak havoc with your game. But like you said, Perunovic is comfortable with doing it. He's been put in situations where he's had to do that. And that just makes him a better overall defender and, and allows you to have that many left-handed defensemen because now you can slide one over to the right-hand side. Yes, it's not optimal, but at least you have someone that's comfortable doing it and knows how to adjust to that positional change versus a guy like Falk that's played on the one side his entire time. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll see what, what Doug Armstrong has up his sleeve. I mean, we didn't expect Tori Krug to become a St. Louis Blue, and he pulled that out of his sleeve. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we just, it's kind of hard to predict what a Doug Armstrong-led roster is going to look like in a year or two because he has this ability to uh, pull uh pull some surprises on us that's for sure so that's covers pretty much everything from the blues this past week i mean we finally had something you know blues related to talk about you know current blues related which is kind of nice um that wasn't you know terrible reverse retro jerseys um we got our aloha commentary coming up uh with a guy the y blues fan and our hero not only kayaks across the channel, but climbs yet another tall hill for us, proving there is no lanes he won't go for you and your entertainment. So we're proud to have him on our show, and he's going to have a great Aloha commentary for us after this quick message from the Hockey Podcast Network and another one of our great Hockey Podcast Network shows. After that, it is the Aloha commentary. Hey, hockey fans, I'm Breezy. And I'm Ray Ray. We host the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We're lifelong hockey fans who talk about the game and the lifestyle. Our guests include professional hockey players. My rookie party had to wear Speedo, and then we had a checklist of stuff we had to do. Here we go, Gaber. What do you got to say? And it's kind of <laughs> like, you know better than that now, boys. I got dressed for the Bruins. I get a phone call. He's like, dude, we need you over here by the elevator. You got to get downstairs. You got to get dressed right now. started playing the like, dun, 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 and I turned it around and it had the Olympic rings and said, we did it. NHL team hockey reporters. I actually took the Stanley, Stanley Cup to, to this, ice, this bar, ice bar where they've got, got now girls around them, around them, and I've got a over on. I wonder who he should have checked over here. <laughs> and then <laughs> I looked down at my favorite hockey fans. The entire bar was lined with guys in Kings jerseys. We quickly realized, oh my gosh, this is the dad's trip. And we bring unique hockey stories to light. Coming back to England, 24 right. rings in the entire country. That's where the problem starts with the sport of ice hockey here. Canadian Blind Hockey Association, those few kids we interviewed, their whole week is built around Sunday at the rink. They're just hockey players. We don't agree on everything. Pineapple goes on pizza. 
<gasps> no, it does not. <laughs> I think it does. Well, we do agree that there are many people and places that build the House of Hockey. New episodes every Tuesday. Come on in to the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Aloha! And welcome to Aloha Commentary. I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Note Fan Report. Well, I have something planned today. I'm not sure how it's going to go. Uh, uh, it's really windy out here. As you can see, Chinaman hat, and that's actually the real Chinaman's hat, not the one I showed last time. I got confused. Today, we're continuing on with our 10 most gut-wrenching moments in Blues history. I'll show uh, the moments that we've gone over here, and once I get to the island, we'll continue on. Well, aloha. We're sitting at the bottom of Chinaman's Hat after part one of our three or four part adventure. With me today is Brett Freeland. Uh, Brett was born in St. Louis and was named after Brett Hull. Uh, we're going to go to the top of Chinaman's Hat to tell you about the most gut-wrenching moment, number seven, and the most gut-wrenching moments, number two for the guys and number two for me. So please join us on our journey to the top. Well, aloha. I gotta hold my mic like this. Um, I'm up here at the very top of Chinaman's Hat with Brett Freeland. Um, the number seven most gut-wrenching moment for both the Blue Notes podcast and the Blue Note fan report, me, is the 1999 President's Cup team. This is a team that was loaded with talent. They scored 114 points, had 51 wins, <clears throat> and it just looked like they were going to go all the way. It was our cup. Do you agree, Brett? Yeah, thanks, Brett. That's a real good comment you made there. Um, we knew that this was going to make it, and then they came up against the Sharks, and the Sharks had a hell of a team, right, Brett? You're right, Brett. They did have a really, really good team, uh, but the Blues should have won. And this was another one of those moments when Blues fans just felt like nothing was going to go right for them. Now we get to the number two most gut-wrenching moment. And for me, I'll do mine first. My number two most gut-wrenching moment is the picture. The 1970 Stanley Cup Finals Game 4, Bobby Orr flying across the goal after he scores. Noel Picard tripped him supposedly, um, and in celebration, he goes flying across the ice. A picture's taken, and we have to deal with that picture now everywhere. It is the number one moment in Plan League Playoff Cup history. It's the number one overtime moment. If it's a moment, it's number one. Nothing beats it in history. Do you agree with me, Brett? Yeah, I thought so. Um, man, you're just talking a lot today, buddy. So, that's my number two moment, and I, I remember it. I see the picture all the time. Now, the guy's number two moment was my number four moment, and that is the Mike Keenan era. Uh, in 1995, or 94, 95, 95, 96, Mike Keenan leaves the Rangers and comes to the Blues as head coach and general manager. Everybody in Blues land was absolutely excited. We thought Iron Mike was going to get us that ring. Don't you agree, Brett? Mm, yeah. He's right. 
He thought Iron Bright was going to get us it. I thought we were going to get it, but it didn't happen. I reached out to someone I know in the Blues organization who was there at that time, and they told me two things about Iron Mike. One, he was a great coach. He was a fair GM, but as a GM and coach, he was an abomination. And he also told me a story. He was with Iron Mike, or he was with Dan Kelly in Philadelphia. They go down in the forum to meet Iron Mike to get the goalie, the starting goalie. He asked Iron Mike who the starting goalie is going to be, and Iron Mike says, I haven't made up my mind yet. In true Dan Kelly fashion, Dan Kelly says, F you, Keaton. I know who's the starting pitcher for game four of the World Series. You damn well know who the starting goalie is for game four of the NHL season. And then walked away. Uh, my friend said, I just looked at Mike and said, I guess I'm not getting my starting goalie and walked away. Mike was just not good with people and that's how he was. Well guys, I got one more part of this adventure to sh share with you um, and I'll see you at the bottom. Aloha. Aloha. Well, we've done it. We've reached the end of our adventure. And just like the Blues fans in 1970, 1999, and the Mike Keenan era, we are completely exhausted. So, this is Guy and Brett saying aloha and mahalo. Uh, Tom and Wags, can't wait to hear what you've got to say about all this. Aloha. Mahalo, and we'll see you on the next Aloha Commentary and the Blue Note Fan Report. Aloha. Wow. Again. Again. That You know, I, I, I commented to you, Wags, you know, while that was playing, that I, I was exhausted, you know, halfway up the hill you know when when they were climbing because like you know this isn't just like you know take a little hike up the hill on a you know pre-paved you know path this was hands in the dirt climbing up the hill and this after you you know had to kayak across the channel with the waves coming against you and just bravo hawaii blues fan you there are no lengths you will not go for this show so i seriously they did that's the thing that blows my mind, Wags. He did all that, and he brought you know two assistants with him, including Brett. And of course, they had. A, and I saw like in in one of the shots there was a uh, a black case, which I guess had audio equipment in it, and I guess you know the the camera and stuff like or a camera. And I'm just like, they're doing all this for a hockey podcast that two assholes from St. Louis stream on the internet at 6:30 p.m. on on a Sunday. Uh unbelievable guys thank you from the yeah. bottom of our heart uh yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's about the, all we can really say uh, a couple other th a couple things i want to point out from the video number one is nice save in a beauty by guy as the hat was blowing off of his head quick scramble like grant you know grant fear like quickness to you know keep the hat from you know blowing all, all the way over to another island um you know way to go wags you know or not, not wags i mean way to go guy you know for having the cat like reflexes there and then the second thing and i and, I'll, and i'm going to echo what luke Woodbin has to say poor brett <laughs> poor brett could not get a word in edgewise he looks so happy to be there though 
He did. He did. I, I, I thought, like I said, I thought he talked too much. I mean, he just was spewing yeah, stuff left sp- and right. Like you could not believe. No, but you know, I think that made the whole bit too, is that it, it, I don't know if it was preconceived or what, but I think it worked phenomenally. It was hilarious. And, and hopefully, hopefully Brett gets a chance to actually voice his opinion on our show or on the Blue Note fan report at some point. Absolutely. Follow us, Brett. Uh, I'm sure you've got a golden voice. We would love to hear it someday. Absolutely. And then, Guy, you're probably watching as we speak. How long did that take? Um, You know, Wags was actually asking that off air. It's just like, you know, the, the, the kayak across that channel. I mean, there was a lot more of that that I ended up, you know, kind of clipping out. Um, and then climbing up the hill. I mean, just how long did, did that take? Uh, drop a comment, guy. We'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about it here for sure. But all of that leads us to our number two uh, most stomach-turning moment in Blues history, and that is Mike effing Keenan. And to, to you know, this isn't just one moment here. There, there's a whole history that we have to talk about here with one Iron Mike Keenan. And should, should, before we go further, though, should we label this viewer discretion advice? Is this TV mature or, or are we going to go with the family fun edition? As of this point, we are going to try to keep this family friendly. It may be difficult at times because it's Mike Keenan. <laughs> But we'll do our best. We'll do okay. our best. Um, we'll do our. You know what? I, I feel it's it's you know it feels with the Hawaii Blues fan. We we need to, you know, he wants to make sure that as many people see his climb up Chinaman's hat, you know, as possible. And if I'm dropping f bombs, you know, left and right here, kids can't see it. So you know they can't be inspired by Guy Bensing's selfless act of uh, of of cardio. You know, and they for, cannot properly hate Mike Keenan unless they know the story of Mike Keenan. Right. Don't don't ever say the Hockey Podcast Network doesn't have a health and wellness plan because you just saw it right there. We have encouraged a grown ass man to climb up a tall hill for your entertainment and you know get a good workout at the same time. So you know there we go. Um, all right. So this kind of almost picks up where we left off from last week in terms of timeline because it's 1994. And this is, you know, after the last Scott Stevens flirtation uh, that didn't happen. And now we're kind of we that whole saga, which I'm getting PTSD just thinking about it because of all the details about it. That's all kind of subsided. It's 1994. Mike Keenan has finally ended the Stanley Cup drought for the New York Rangers Magical run that year and featuring iconic moments, you know, like Mato, 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 when he scored the goal to, you know, help the Rangers advance. And then, of course, you know, we get that shot of Mark Messier just like laughing maniacally, like he's the Joker, as he finally, you know, got to step out of the shadows of the Gretzky led Oiler teams and claim his own cup, you know, and as the star and leader of his own team. So a week after the cup win, though. Um, that's when kind of the honeymoon ends for that is a week because Mike Keenan has a beef with GM Neil Smith and all of a sudden, and I remember seeing reports on local TV, like as this was happening when I was nine years old, that the blues were hiring the coach of the 1994 Stanley cup winners, Mike Keenan, right after they win the cup. Now, do you remember where you were? when you heard that uh, Keenan was being hired by the blues, I actually think I was in my grandparents' house uh, yeah. when this happened. And yeah, I remember vaguely hearing about it, but being 
nine years old, I didn't understand the gravity of the situation because I'm like, okay, cool. We got a new coach. That's awesome. Maybe we'll win a Stanley cup. That'd be really, really cool. But that's about, that's about all I got out of it. But I do remember I was, I was at my grandparents' house and one of those big box TVs. And, and I think there were actually dials still on the TV as well. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't beat <laughs> me right there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I remember. And it had one of those really funky old nineties graphics. Yeah. That, yeah, I, I remember that pretty well. But yeah, that's about really all I remember about the Mike Keenan hiring. Well, I yeah, I remember seeing the report. I think it was like on Channel Four, you know, on the you know like 10 p.m. news of you know Keenan, you know, coming to St. Louis, and it blew my mind because hey, this guy won a Stanley Cup. You know, this guy must be good. Um, and we were just coming off of the tenure of Bob Barry, who lasted uh, for uh, about two years. And I remember I didn't like Bob Barry. As a coach, I he 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 was a very, you know, it, it felt like a letdown. I think after uh, we had you know Brian Sutter and then Jacques Jacques Martin, you know, really good coaches, and then he kind of knocked the team down a peg a little bit. Um, but Keenan comes in, um, but of course, in a move that you know, n- n- first of all, before we get to that, on the flip side of this, the Rangers were losing the coach that led them to the promised land. And in a nastier split than what would happen 24 years later when Barry Trotz left the Caps, that was amicable by comparison. This was pretty nasty. Could you imagine Craig Berube leaving St. Louis a week after the Blues won the Cup? I mean, it would just it would break your heart, wouldn't it? It certainly would. And, you know, the Rangers were going sort of through the same sort of situation the Blues were in at that time is they were a team that had not won a championship in a very very, very, very long time, if at all. And you got a guy that just led you to the promised land with a guy in Messier who was trying to exercise some demons. And, you know, it just, it, it mirrored the Blues run in 2019 pretty closely. And to have somebody that helped take you to that and then just decide, okay, I'm out. And, and Mike Keenan was only there for a year too. Craig Ruby wasn't even there for a full year. Yeah, and led this team to a to a championship. So the fact that Keenan was only there a year too, everything there's a lot of similarities there, and I just cannot see, you know, Craig Berube leaving a week after winning the Stanley Cup. It's unfathomable. Yeah, it, it, just absolutely unfathomable to think about. Uh, by the way, speaking of unfathomable, uh, guy checking in. It took about five hours from start to finish for all that just to record a bit for us two assholes. You know, I mean. There, there we go. We now, now we're not family friendly. I, I, I lost. So I'm <laughs> We've sorry. broken the steel. The, the, the children of the world will never know the sacrifice that guy took to climb that hill for us. Uh, <laughs> seriously. And then also, uh, Brett's been a part of his show before, and we're working on a show together now. Okay, so we got a new, new blues podcast coming up. We like to hear that. You know, the more the better. You know, competition is always good, and I kind of consider us a bit of a family. You know, just you know, between us, we're. Uh, we get along well with a lot of the other podcasters. Uh, two guys, one cup. We, you know, like to banter back and forth on Twitter a little bit. Uh, uh, even the locked on guys, you know, like uh, Joey Palazzola and uh, and Welsh and uh, Hyman. You know, we've, you know, we're friendly. We're there's there's no real competition. We're all all in this together. Um, back to uh, the uh, the Keenan era, which was definitely uh, had some competitive moments, um, both in the locker room and on the ice. Um, the Blues hire Keenan, but in a move that will evoke traumatic memories of last week's episode, 
The Blues were caught tampering. What? Insane ain't so. Not the Blues. Um, Keen, they, they tampered with Keenan while he was still under contract with the Rangers. So, but here's the difference between Mike Keenan and Scott Stevens. It didn't take five years for the NHL to determine that the Blues were tampering. It took them nine days. Nine days. Why couldn't they get that the guy who determined that on the Scott Stevens case? Why? Anyway. The Blues no were idea. hit. I don't know. I don't know. So the Blues were hit with a $250,000 fine. Uh, Keenan had to be delayed until September 24th from starting with the Blues. There was kind of like a 60-day suspension that the NHL kind of laid down on him. And the league basically forced the Blues to trade Peter Nedved to uh, the Rangers for Doug Lidster and Essa Tikkanen, which this wasn't, in re- this wasn't a restricted free agent deal. This was the NHL's, NHL telling the Blues and the Rangers, okay, this is the compensation. You get the young, promising forward for two old fossils. You, th- that's, that's the deal. That's strange. It, it, it's a very strange thing. But as we have learned the past couple of weeks, Wags, the NHL is very strange when it come, came to restricted free agents and compensation. It just it, they just were, and thankfully, uh, these type of dealings, Wags, made the type of restricted free agency rules we have now, which are a lot more well defined. Oh yeah, most definitely. But there's also another, and if you want to dive down a conspiracy hole, maybe maybe the the league had something out for the blues because it seemed like the blues were the ones that were getting punished very, very heavily in a lot of these instances. And I don't recall any other stories of teams being hit this hard in this many consecutive years. Granted, once again, we had Ron Caron, so I guess it was inevitable, but maybe the league had something, you know, some sort of reasoning for, the blues getting punished like this. And I, I'd be very interested yeah. if any of the other podcasters on the network have any of these stories like this, yeah. you know, to reach out. But I don't think any other team had to go through something like this. I, I really think it's just because the blues poked the beehive too much. That's, that's really what it is. They, they, they tried too much of this basically. And they pissed off enough people into where they, they, they kind of put the clamps down on them. Um, now, he, he, one fun fact um, is that the New York Times, I read an article today, it wasn't just the Blues that were tampering with the Rangers. It was the Detroit Red Wings were also tampering with Mike Keenan, trying to hire Mike Keenan as their coach at the same time the Blues were. Now, of course, the Blues ended up getting Keenan. The Red Wings were also fined $25,000 for their attempt to tamper with Mike Keenan. And because Detroit did not get Mike Keenan, they ended up settling for Scotty Bowman. It all comes full circle. Now, here's another what if for you. What if the Red Wings were able to lure Keenan and not the Blues? Do you think they go on that magical late 90s run with Mike Keenan as the coach? Knowing the way Keenan was... And knowing like how delicate Sergei Fedorov was and you know how temperamental some of those stars could be, I don't think it would have happened, Wags. I think they would have I think they would have won at least one cup. I think they probably would have had, you know, just like he's had 
short-term success in most of the places he's been at. Because if you look at his career, you know, he had four years of success in Philadelphia. He had multiple years of success in Chicago. So it's not like he was a coach that had, it was a one-hit wonder. He had success. And even after he left the Blues, you know, in, in Vancouver, he was okay. Uh, he had a great year in Boston. And then his last two seasons in Calgary even were really, really good. So I think he would have been able to coax that team maybe to a Stanley Cup victory in, in a year or two that he was there. But, yeah, I would not have had that long-term sustained success of Scotty Bowman. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about what if. So let's say the Red Wings get Mike Keenan. Who's to say that Scotty Bowman doesn't come to St. Louis and again. changes the course of history once again for the Blues? You never know. You never know. That would have been a heck of a story, though, for yeah. Bowman to come back after leaving in 1970 and then leading the Blues to glory, like as if he was picking up where he left off. Um, God, that's mm, man. That's <laughs> we, we can have a whole other show on what ifs. We need to like talk to the writers of the TV show Flash and like you know do some alternate universe, you know, kind of kind of storylines here because I'm curious, really curious how that would have turned out. We we could do that. You know we could. We could we create could. A, we could create an alternate dimension blue notes pod and and do like like Marvel 616, do these what ifs and just pretend like that's the world we're living in. We could totally do that. Is, is hockey fan fiction a thing? It, it 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 can be. Let's start it. I think we can. Let's here we go. Niche the, number 4. Remember this, November 22nd, 2020, the year that uh uh, hockey fan fiction became a thing. No, mark it, that, down. Mark it down. Mark it down. Mark it down. All right. And we're, of course, we have to think fan fiction here because we have to talk about Mike Keenan, which is the reality. And the reality was not good. So Keenan's first season is the lockout shortened year. Uh, it's 48 games. He brings the Blues to a 28 18 and 5 record, good for second in the division, nine points behind Detroit. Encouraging to start off. Um, the playoffs is where things start to get weird with Keenan. Uh, the Blues got bounced in the first round, four games to three by the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Cujo did not have a great game seven, and Keenan kind of turned him into a scapegoat after that. And now let's go back to last week. Once again, we're for more complicated and maddening Blues mid-90s transactions because we got one here for you. The Blues... That offseason, which signed Shane Corson from the Edmonton Oilers, uh, he was a restricted free agent. So as we have learned, the Oilers were due compensation and they were due two first rounders. So the Blues were able to give them their 96 and 97 first round picks, which, by the way, would be like seven straight years. The Blues would not have a first round pick, which seems insane, like insanity to me. But that's the Blues for you in the mid 90s. Well, Cujo was in Keenan's doghouse and he was a restricted free agent and Keenan really was not keen on losing those first rounders. I wonder why. Oh yeah. Cause they typically become good players. So Keenan decides to get rid of his quote unquote problem and Curtis Joseph and prospect Mike Greer, who had a nice and long career in the NHL for a few teams uh, in exchange for those two first rounders. So they had to trade for their own first rounders back in order to get Shane Corson. So it was effectively Cujo and Mike Greer were Shane Corson. Kind of gives you a bit of a different perspective on Shane Corson. Um, this deal, I mean, you know, this whole deal of Cujo, though, and again, this is nine, ten-year-old me here. Um, the Blues just traded Curtis Joseph. I couldn't believe it at the time because I thought Curtis Joseph was, 
He was the franchise. He was the guy. He had the cool nickname in Cujo. He always had really cool goalie mask on. And Wags, I don't know about you, but this trade really was a gut punch for me. It, it was for me as well. Uh, actually, when a girl I went to school with, she actually knew the guy that painted Cujo's masks. And that was a really, I mean, like you said, he had some just incredibly cool masks and equipment and he was the goalie of the future for the blues and when they made that move you were just like what what are we doing what is happening here because there was no other goalie in the system that you were sitting there going okay at least we got somebody that can come up you know that's you know the blues traded jake allen this year well bennington won the stanley cup so you you had a, a replacement essentially viable replacement when they traded cujo it was like you brought in a Stanley Cup winning coach. We've got a team that can compete and win a Stanley Cup. And you trade away your franchise goaltender in his prime with no discernible replacement option at the time. Like, what is going on? And, and it should have been the, the key in the queue for us to go, Keenan's got to go. But we were all blinded by his cup win and thought, okay, he knows what he's doing. Something's going to happen. It was one of the first chinks in his armor. The, the other chink actually happened uh, before then, and that was actually trading uh, known adulterer and wife stealer, Brandon Shanahan, fresh off of stealing Craig Janney's wife. It turns out that causes a little bit of a locker room distraction. Um, so they traded Shanahan for Chris Pronger. Uh, and when I say they, I mean Keenan. Um, it was a deal that hurt me at the time. That hurt me worse than Cujo because I was a big Brendan Shanahan fan when I was a kid. Uh, he always would host these like charity softball games, you know, during the summer with like, you know, the blues players against the media. They would always play at uh, St. Louis University. And, um, you know, afterwards, you know, I got to meet him and like Brett Hall after the games. And they were super nice, super friendly people. And, um, you know, I, I was very sad when, when Shanahan left. Um, but Shanahan, of course, you know, as I mentioned, was becoming a locker room issue with the, with the Janney's wife deal. Um, and then Pronger, that Pronger kid turned out pretty well, you know, a deal, a good deal in the end. And, you know, and also by the way, you know, this kind of puts, you know, a period on our last episode and that the blues finally have their Scott Stevens level franchise defenseman. Um, it just took, you know, a few extra moves to get there and, all is well that ends well, right? Yeah, it, it really does because it eventually led to Mr. Robot leading to Mr. Bennington and a Stanley Cup win. So he yeah. had some great years with Chris Pronger and it ended up not leading to a Stanley Cup with him, but eventually leading to a Stanley Cup. So yeah, I would say all is well that ends well. Yeah, it, it's just we have to get to, we have to go through some pain yeah. to get to that point, though. And also worth noting that the once Corson was signed, uh Keenan named Shane Corson the captain right away. And he just stripped Brett Hall of the captaincy. Just whoop, done. You're you're no longer captain, Mister Franchise, right winging, scoring, Golden Brett. No, no more captaincy for you. Um, and this started a nasty rift between Brett Hall and Mike Keenan. And I remember back then, Brett Hall was not shy, or he didn't really hide his distaste for Keenan very well. And it was all over the media. And really, how could you not take Brett's, Brett Hall's side at the time? I mean. The guy is, you know, you know, the, you know, Keel Center at the time, as it was known at the time, was the place that Brett Hall built, you know, and he, he built it in a lot of ways. You know, when his arrival really cemented the blues into the community, 
and really has led to what we know today. I mean, he was the catalyst for that, him and his marketability and his scoring touch. And he's named captain. He is considered the leader for so many years. And in walks this guy from Edmonton, and now he's the captain. After in walks this guy from New York to become the coach a year prior, you can't blame Hall for being mad. No, not at all. I mean, you talk about hockey fan fiction. I still have the McDonald's comic books with the golden bread. Uh, the futuristic one. So, you know, he was the face of this team. And, you know, you can sit there and say maybe he wasn't captain material. Maybe he wasn't the ultimate leader in the locker room that a guy maybe like Corson could be. But the way it went down just pretty much cemented the fact that if Keenan was going to be here, Brett Hall probably wasn't. And I don't know if... I don't know if I could have taken that knowing at the time that it was either Keenan or Hall. Looking back, yeah, it sucks. But yeah, it, it, it started the process. If you're watching the video stream, by the way, I have my comics uh, right here. Right there on the on the bookshelf where my finger is. Right, right around there. There we go. There's my Vanna Wine impression right there. <laughs> and and by the way, I'm doing like multiple things with my fingers here. So this is the cup right right here. Whatever. I'm done. No it's, more it's, Vanna. It's just, it's just like the mask for the fiasco. I, I can't do it. I can't I, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. You know, guy, you know, guy climbs a hill for me. We have Luke Whitbin that goes out and makes makes a beautiful music video for us. And I'm doing everything with my hands. And I don't know what I'm doing with them. Um, qual- quality broadcasting, quality broadcasting. Good, good thing that the people that listen to the podcast can't see us because <laughs> it, it would probably ruin the effect. And those same people are probably like, you know, maybe I should check out their video podcast sometime. <laughs> oh, wait, no, never mind. He he just, you know, Tom just fucked it up for us. So, no, never mind. I, I don't want to see that shit. God, come on. All right. So, speaking of not wanting to see that shit, Mike Keenan, uh, notable prick, uh, though he. He loved to play head games with the players um, on the most recent uh, uh, on a recent spit and chicklets. Uh, Chris Pronger talked about how Brett Hall once told him to stand up to Mike Keenan after Iron Mike kind of made Pronger's few months, a first few months of living hell. Um, really good episode. If you haven't listened to the Chris Pronger episode of spit and chicklets, check it out. It's very enlightening about what life in the blues uh, locker room was like. Uh, in those early goings, because he he took a lot of shit from from Keenan to start off with. Um, then there's the Dale Howard Chuck story that still just grates on my nerves and actually kind of started uh, really the separation of Brett Hall and St. Louis. You know, just this slow glacial separation. Um, you know, Brett Hall himself told it best. "Quote: Dale Howard Chuck's grandmother was dying. He's from just outside Buffalo, and we were going to play the Sabers." And his grandmother was coming to watch him play for the last time. And Mike Keenan sat him out on purpose. That's the lowest thing I've ever seen in my life. End quote. I've talked, I've talked about that moment a few times in this podcast. And I talk about it for one reason. And that is it was an absolutely despicable move. You just don't do that if you're a head coach. You just don't do that. No, you, I, I just, I, I don't even know what to say because... That, that's just ridiculous. And how it's not like the decision was made prior to the game, like like a day or so in advance. It wasn't like, oh, it's a maintenance day. Don't bring her out or anything like that. Like he made that decision like hours before puck drop. 
So everything was already put in motion to have his grandmother there and, and everything. And it's not like the team could have rallied around him and said, coach, like Rudy, he's in, I'm out. He's in, I'm out. He's in, in I'm out. I, like, I could imagine that have been the case if Keenan had made that decision a day or two before where the entire team goes in and lays down their jersey for Dale Howardchuck to go play in that game. But he made it so late that that couldn't happen. And it's just like you said, it's an absolute dick move. And I just – just hearing that story again just gets me all riled up. Yeah. It, 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 how does it not? You know, it, it's a terrible story. And of course, you know, in the long run, this is where Mike Keenan plants the seeds that would lead the whole leaving for Dallas in 1997. Yes, by then, Coach Q was the coach the year that Hull went into free agency, but Hull had some issues with Coach Q as well. And I feel that he was just embittered at that point with St. Louis after the, going through the Mike Keenan hell. And by the time that Quinville came in, it was just irreparable. He needed a change of scenery. And sadly, I've come to grips with that fact. You, you know, even though when he left, when Brett Hall left St. Louis, I was mortified because Hall was my hero. He was my childhood hero. He was my icon. He was a guy that I tried to, you know, I drew inspiration from because I was kind of a shy, introverted kid growing up. And here's Brett Hall, this very brash and, you know, outspoken guy. And, you know, he was inspiring to me. And to see him walk out of town, it, it broke my heart. But it, it again, you know, looking back on it, you know, I don't blame Hull for leaving St. Louis. It's just because by, by that point, he had been messed around with to the point where enough was enough. Yeah. I mean, I still wear number 16 because of Brett Hall. He is my guy. It's one of those things that I grew up watching him play. He was the savior of the blues. And now he's gone. So, yeah, it definitely hurt a little bit to the core that that actually happened. But, like you said, you could see it coming in the long run. It was going to be the case that Brett Hall was not going to be a blue. It, it, it stung, but looking back, you knew it was going to happen. It just, for me, the worst part is the fact that he went and won a Stanley Cup with Dallas the next year. And yeah. then, he won, then he won a Stanley Cup in Detroit. That and hurt. that hurt. I think that hurt more than him winning in Dallas. Honestly, that yeah. one hurt yeah. the worst. It hurt for me. I had nothing against Dallas at the mm -hmm. time. I did. I've really never had anything against Dallas. Um, Detroit, on the other hand, I've had therapy issues over that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not actually. I've gone to therapy over. We probably should have, <laughs> but we probably should have. Honestly, it, it would have probably helped at least. You know, especially for next week's you know moment, which will. We'll talk about you know next week when we have to we're not going to talk about it now um but i'm yeah i you know what i'm talking about wags and i'm just yeah i gotta I'm, take I'm, a week to prepare good it's a good I'm thing it's thanksgiving week yes it is we'll, we'll 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 be full of you know el tryptopan from from turkey you know so maybe we won't be that feisty but um yeah, it'd be interesting. No, we'll just be crying the whole the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's going to be the emotional episode next week. <laughs> that that is for sure. Um, of course, the other thing about Keenan's tenure that kind of marred his time here was his reliance on old geezers: uh, Charlie Huddy, Glenn Anderson, Essa Tikkanen, Craig McTavish, Stefan Mateau, Dale Howardchuk, Basil McRae, Guy Carbono, Peter Stastny, uh, Peter Stastny, not Paul, Peter. Uh, Greg Gilbert, Doug Lister, all 30 and older and all except Carbono, maybe that would be considered in their twilight of their careers. Um, 
his reliance on old guys, especially like former Edmonton Oilers. He had a weird thing about old Edmonton Oilers. It wasn't even so much former Rangers. Like he made sure to bring in Tekken in and Mateau, but Oilers. He wanted to like recreate the Oilers team. Um, oh, and also this guy named Wayne Gretzky too. We'll, we'll talk about him in just a little bit as well. Uh, but it, it wasn't a good strategy and it hurt the Blues a little bit after he left and that it took them a year or two to kind of, I feel, kind of recover from from the Mike Keenan there and where he put the Blues at that point. But most importantly, the issues that Keenan was creating was creating to bat, was leading to bad play on the ice. Uh, he coached the team to a losing record the following year, uh, his first full season that wasn't lockout shortened, 32, 34, and 16, and a fourth place finish in the Central. Uh, so a losing record, and yet still good for fifth in the West, and a date with Toronto in the first round. And oh, yeah, they acquired Wayne Gretzky at the deadline because they needed a boost, and you have the great one available. So Go out and get the great one. That's that's you know what you should do. So no big deal, right? Well, so we all know for anyone else around that time period knows what happened in that playoffs. Nick Kiprios destroys Grant Fear's knee on semi-purpose. The fall was intentional, the intent to injure wasn't. Um, but the, the the real story here, Gretzky was not having the playoffs that Keenan expected out of him, or at least he felt that he should be performing. And he was still a point per game guy ended up with 16 points in 13 games for four with including 14 assists. But it's rumored that Mike Keenan, of course, being the lover of head games that he is pulls a contract offer for Wayne Gretzky during the playoffs. Gretzky was, was about to become a free agent. He wanted to stay in St. Louis. He's been quoted by the post dispatch as saying so And, of course, it's also worth noting his wife, Janet, is from St. Louis. So this is where he wanted to retire. This is this is this is where he wanted to play his final years. The great one. This is where he wants to be. And Keenan decides to pull a contract offer for him to come back. It was an attempt to motivate him. But Wayne took it personally and infuriated him so much that he chose a lesser offer from the New York Rangers instead of a higher offer from the St. Louis Blues in the offseason. And that, in my opinion, was the deciding factor in making Mike Keenan our number two most stomach-turning moment in Blues history. Um, We could have rated, you know, you can make the argument that some of our other moments may have been ranked higher or lower. To me, letting Gretzky walk because you're an asshole, that is why you are ranked as highly as you are on our stomach-turning moments in Blues history. Because losing Gretzky broke my heart almost as bad as anything else in Blues history. What about you? Yeah, because yes, he was nearing the end of his career. It wasn't like he was the Edmonton or the Kings version of Wayne Gretzky, but he was still playing at a high clip for his age. And having him paired with Brett Hall, having an Al McKinnis on this team, having a young Chris Pronger, having at the time Grant Fuhr. I mean, this, this could have been the team that won it all. It really could have been. And not only that, but Gretzky is a guy that attracts names. He attracts players because they want to play with Wayne Gretzky. So instead of having these old 30-plus-year-old guys coming into play, maybe you have a young superstar that's like, look, I'll take a pay cut if I get to play with Gretzky and have a chance at winning a Stanley Cup. Who knows what could have happened? And, And basically, the Blues chose Mike Keenan over Wayne Gretzky. And for the longest time, they could not live that down. 
No, and it, and it, it, it hurt a lot. I mean, this year I had made maybe a week or two after the playoffs ended. Um, it was right around the time of my birthday um, when the playoffs got done. So, you know, I wanted a Gretzky jersey. And we ended up getting a blank and then having someone in town locally whoever did this, whoever did the stitching for the blues. It wasn't Levy at the time. I don't think uh, it may have been, but they were, I remember going to a place in South County for this and they had Gretzky 99 stitched and it's, you know, team authentic. And about two or three weeks after I get this Jersey made Gretzky signs in New York and uh, it, it crushed me. Um, and not only that, but I actually outgrew that jersey like within about a month after that. So, you know, I didn't have a chance to really wear it that much. So that's why it's on my wall right now instead of my closet. So um, so that's that's Gretzky. And you'll understand, as I said, you'll understand next week why this moment was not the number one most stomach turning moment in, in our list. You'll understand when we tell you what moment that is. And um, I'm just we're, we got some preparing to do this week emotionally for that. That's Sacrificing to the hockey gods. Oh, yeah, literally. So final. So so absolutely the next season, uh, the Blues are off to a 15, 17 and one start. Um, and that coupled with losing Gretzky, losing Curtis Joseph, starting the process to lose Hull in the nasty public feud. You've already alienated him pretty much to the point where he's of no return. Uh, signing all these old geezers, getting rid of good young talent to do so, and effectively losing the locker room. All of that meant that on December 19th, 1996, the St. Louis Blues had a Christmas gift for Mike Keenan. Merry effing Christmas, Mike Keenan. You're fired. Right, a week before Christmas, that's not a good time to be fired in any profession. I feel that getting fired right before Christmas is getting fired with prejudice. Yes. Yeah, At, and, and how, how this is not a, a local holiday is still beyond me. It should be. December 19th should be, you know, Mike Keenan Liberation Day in St. Louis. I mean, we should celebrate that like the French celebrate Bastille Day. You know, hey, that's that's Blue how, Notes holiday. Blue Notes holiday. There we go. Um, by the way, also, uh, our buddy Luke Woodbin was, a you know, a blues fan at the time. My grandma got me a Jersey T-shirt of Gretzky. I left it on the floor and my cat. Cried. <laughs> oh, no, that should have been a warning. Oh, no. It's the curse of Woodbin's cats. That's why we lost Gretzky. Oh no! The the oh god! The the Cubs had the curse of the Billy Goat. The Boston had the curse of the Bambino, and you've got the curse of the cat. That's why we don't have Gretzky, Luke. Wow! What, it what all a, comes out. What a terrible cat! What a terrible cat! Oh man! So back on track. You know the Blues would sign Colorado Avalanche assistant coach Joel Quinville, and some good times would soon follow. Um, it's also a kind of appropriate. I want one final note on Keenan here. It's also kind of appropriate that these reverse retros come out now because the original version of the, uh, the retro jerseys, like you just saw with the Gretzky, um, they basically were the Jersey of the Mike Keenan era. They, uh, they started when he was hired. Um, he, uh, it took him about a, I think it took him about a half a season or a season to get rid of them and get the jerseys that they have today. Um, so when, when people 
you know, kind of look at these clown jerseys with ire, I think that's got a lot to do with it because it evokes really bad memories of a really awful human being in Mike Keenan. But as you, but as you pointed out though, uh, Mike Keenan did save us from one abomination. Yes. Those very, very terrible potential third blues jerseys with the trumpets and the notes. And I don't even know there was some sort of animal on there. I think it, it was horrific, disgusting, terrible. And that's the one literally one Good thing Mike Keenan did for the St. Louis Blues is not having that team wear that abomination of a jersey. Let me see if I can I can pull it up here real quick uh, uh, just to show you what we're talking about here because this thing is is, is just terrible. Um, see if I can... Oh, it was a cat. Yes. Oh, it was a cat. Is yeah. That cat? Is that Luke Whitman's cat? Uh, I think that is actually uh, Luke Whitman's cat was cool cat. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what that thing is on the bottom, right? I'm, I can't find a bigger image of this, unfortunately. Good, though, um, good. We don't need to see it. Yeah. But yeah, you, you can see what we're talking about with this Jersey. It's just an absolute horrendous. Maybe that should have been the reverse retro. Oh, you want to talk about ire? <laughs> I, you know, I would have bought that before the red reverse retro. <sighs> But I still wouldn't have bought it. I still would not have bought it. I, <laughs> I would I would have bought, bought it, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, as Luke points out, you can see that jersey from space. <laughs> it, it, it's that bad. It is that bad. Um, all right. So that so that it, we have purged ourselves of the Mike Keenan era for now. Thank God. Um, now to our honorable mention, which is just more pain because this is what we do. Um, it is the 1999. 2000 president's trophy season and this year i mean it it starts off it's it starts off great i mean they have a it, it's a they had in the regular season the uh, 51 19 11 and 1 record 59 wins in a season that's pretty damn good uh or 51 rather uh they had 114 points they won the west by six points over detroit and I think they had nine points above the your nearest Eastern Conference team. So the Blues had the best record in all of hockey, and they won their first and so far only President's Trophy. This was also the year Chris Pronger won the Hart Trophy, which almost never happens as a defenseman. He also won the uh, Norris that year as well. Uh, Pavel Dimitra arguably has his best year as a Blue with 75 points, uh, 28 goals, 47 assists, and 71 games. Uh, Pierre Turgeon is uh, also had a full year as a blue, uh, only played 52 games. He was a little injury prone, uh, but 26 goals, 40 assists for 66 points above a point per game pace for him. Chris Pronger, a plus 52, uh, 79 games played, 62 points. Um, Mikhail Hanzus even was one of the team's best scorers that year. He had 25 goals, 28 assists for 53 points, and he was a plus 19 um, Al McGinnis had 11 goals and 28 assists, just good numbers all around. Uh, this was also when the blues still had, uh, like Lubos Bartechko, uh, Mike Eastwood was a, uh, face off extraordinaire guy, uh, Jochen Hecht, you know, that's a nice late nineties name for you. Jochen Hecht. And of course, Craig Conroy, who came over in the, uh, Pierre Turgeon deal. Those were some of the uh, leading players on the team. The Blues got great goaltending that year as well. This was the good Roman Turek year. Uh, he had 42 wins, uh, just 15 losses. He had a 195 goals against average and a 912 save percentage. His backup was Jamie McLennan, 
Uh, he also played well in 19 games, had a 196 goals against average and a 903 save percentage. So you have good scoring. You have a deep roster. You have great goaltending. You have a great coach in Joel Quinville. Uh, you have a Hart Trophy winning defenseman, uh, which is you know about as rare as Haley's Comet. So all these great things are happen happening, and surely they made a killer playoff run, right? Right, Wax? Uh, do you want me to relive this? Please don't. <laughs> uh, we got to. We got to. The Blues lost in seven games in the opening round to the last-seeded San Jose Sharks. But, 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 positive, positive, positive. They were where, 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 where? They were down 3-1 in the series in four, seven games. They still lost. I know. I was trying to be nice. You tried. You yeah. tried. I admire, I admire your effort, but uh, yeah, no, it, 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 here, here's what happened, basically. So the, the Blues ended up winning game one, five to three, and then the wheels start falling off. They lost four to two, two to one, three to two. Competitive, you know, they were playing down to San Jose. It wasn't like San Jose was playing up to the Blues, although Steve, uh, Steve Shields had a really good series for the Sharks. Um, as you mentioned, they won five to three and six to two in games five and six, and hope was there, and they were coming home, and they lost three to one. And Roman Turek started a bunch of beach ball memes before you know beach ball memes were even a thing because he was lefting in letting in softy after softy. This was the beginning. This was actually the beginning of the end of Roman Turek because he never recovered from no. from from this. He was he was he he got the yips, and that was pretty much it. Um, but you know, at least the Sharks made a deep run. Well, wait, no, they didn't. They lost to the eventual champion Dallas Stars next round, four games to one. So we we can't even have that pure vi victory. Um, but you know, first round exits they're actually more common than fans think they are when it comes to Presidents Trophy teams. It actually has happened seven times. Most recently with the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, getting bounced by Columbus. Um, a first round bump has happened five times since the Blues won their trophy, but just once before. Um, but you know, the the big story here was that fan, you know, when, when the Blues got into the playoffs, they the fans we were expecting this was the year the cup the Blues were gonna win a cup. Um they didn't expect the fizzle, but they got one. Um Steve Shields, a goalie, as I said, a goalie who most folks don't remember. You know, he was a real difference maker for the Sharks in game seven. Turek, as I mentioned, laid a massive egg. Uh, Turek was quoted as saying, quote, I feel so bad. You cannot win in the playoffs if you have goaltending like I played these games. I cannot explain it, end quote. And he never could find an explanation for it. He never got better, and he was gone to Calgary, I think, in two years, you know, after that. So it was just, you know, my memories of this team, you know, it just really felt like the bottom fell out. They looked very tired. They did not look like themselves in the regular season. I don't know if it was just the expectation that wore them down or the constant high standard they play in the regular season. I've never really been able to figure out exactly why the Blues hit the wall the way they, uh, the way they did. Uh, do you have any theories, Wags? The only one that, that might hold some weight is the fact that this is the year that the Blues were projected to meet up with Brett Hall and the Dallas Stars. It yeah. was 99-2000. The Stars would be the eventual champions. Everybody in, in St. Louis was sitting there going, okay, we're going we're gonna to have to face Brett Hall in order to 
make the Stanley Cup this year. And I think people, and I think maybe even some of the Blues, were projecting further in their heads that that was the point that they needed to get to. And they just overlooked San Jose. And this is the, this is before competitive balance. You know, you talk about five bounces by top teams since this happened. Well, the competitive balance has shifted immensely where the, the one and eight seeds aren't so far apart as they yeah. were back in the day. When it was us and the Sharks, there was a clear disparity. I mean, for God's sake, Mike Ricci was on that team. Ugh. And if you remember ugly. Mike Ricci, ugly as sin. Yeah. Uh, so the Kings beating the Red Wings was a huge deal when it was a 1-8. Now a 1-8 isn't that big of a deal. So yeah. I think people were getting too far ahead of it. And, and the Sharks just essentially, no pun intended, bit us in the ass. <laughs> well, I like to think the Blues got their revenge on the Sharks, you know, about 20 years later in the uh, Western Conference Finals last year. So, you know, we can put that to bed finally. And I think we can put this episode to bed as well. That's going to do it. Enough heartache this episode. But we got some a lot more coming up next week. Again, Luke Widbin has a new music video for us. We're going to drop that here as well. I know guys working on a special Aloha commentary. Big stuff happening next Sunday and Monday. Of course, uh, get your T-shirts, your Blue Notes T-shirts like a guy was wearing at uh, Teespring, our Teespring store. Link is in the description below. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And I want to thank you for listening because uh, and watching because without you, there is no me. There is no Wags. There is no uh, Hawaii Blues fan. There is no Hockey Podcast Network. And there is no Blue Notes. All of that made possible by you. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Jeremy Boyer, play us out. listening to the hockey podcast network your home for hockey talk covering every team in the nhl new episodes every monday download at the hockey podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from